right, well, I want to thank you all for welcoming me back. Uh, sometimes you can be a one dinner guest invite and then people decide, eh, that was okay, but not, not, not so good. So we're happy that we were invited back a second time. So that's a real blessing. And I want to thank you all for uh, welcoming my family, uh, Allison, Brian, my wife Molly here, and uh, her sister Jennifer here. So uh, say hi to them. Uh, but it's, it's just a great, uh, great blessing to be here. Before I begin, I, I did want to take a moment to say to you that it is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, I just wanted to know if there are any veterans in the room here today. We have veterans? All right, I just want to ask you to stand and, and just for a second so we can thank you for the service that you've given to us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, veterans. It's because of your sacrifice that we enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy, and so we just want to acknowledge you and thank you today for what you have done. Okay, so today we are going to begin a two-part series called Ministering from the Eye of a Hurricane. And this week we're going to be in part one, obviously. Next week we will do part two. So, there was a man living in the Caribbean, and he was about to experience his first hurricane. And the hurricane was coming from the east, and so the man wisely boarded up the east side of his house, thinking that that would protect him from the hurricane. But if you've ever seen a satellite picture of a hurricane, like this one, you know that a hurricane is a, is a gigantic storm with this big circular hole in the middle of it, and that hole is called the eye, the eye of the hurricane. And so the first half of the storm had passed over this man's house, and his house was battered, but it wasn't destroyed. But this man, this was his first hurricane, so he didn't realize that he was going to have to experience the second half of the storm. And he was unprepared in that he didn't prepare his house for the winds that were going to come from the west side after he had passed through the eye of this hurricane. And so unfortunately for him, when the winds came from the west because he was unprepared for that, his house was destroyed. He didn't have anybody who were, was able to teach him in the ways of hurricanes, so he was unprepared when the coming calamity happened. And so we want to be prepared when coming calamity is on its way. And so Paul was all about that. You know, there's only one way to get into the eye of a hurricane. You see that? You have to pass through that first half of a storm. You can only get there if you get through and see that you have to pass through this to get here. But just like there's only one way into a hurricane, there's only one way out of a, the eye of a hurricane too. You have to pass through the second half of the storm. So have you ever felt like that in life? Like you've just come through some really tough storm in your life and you get this brief moment of relief and reprieve as you're standing in the eye of this hurricane. And then before you can even catch your breath, something else happens and you get hit with something else and you find that you're right back from the fire that you were in, out of the fire, and then back into the fire again. Life can be like that sometimes, and so what we want to do is to be sure that we are prepared for these coming west winds, so that when they come, calamity doesn't strike our house and knock it down. Now, Paul was constantly there. Paul was constantly in the fire, out of the fire, back into the fire again. He was always uh, about to face something, and he was never afraid of it. He never shrunk back from it. He would find himself in the middle of the storm, get out of it, and then right back into it again. But he learned that God was with him in his storms. Every time that Paul was in a storm, he ended up praising God for how he was able to get out of the storm. And so by the time Paul had written this letter, 2 Corinthians, that we're going to be looking at, 
Paul had already endured an enormous amount of suffering, but he already, or he, he also had a tremendous amount of suffering that was still yet to come his way in his life. And so as Paul dealt with his suffering, he was able to gain perspective as he went through his storms. He would have a storm, realize that God brought him through it, and then gain new perspective on his suffering as a result of what God had done through his life in bringing uh, this storm and then delivering him from this storm. So this week, what we're looking at is Paul standing in the eye of the hurricane and looking back over his past suffering and seeing the perspective that he gained from that suffering. And then next week, we're going to look at how that perspective that he gained was able to help him for the coming second half of the storm. Uh, so looking forward to the danger that he was going to face as he uh, continued on his Christian journey. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we'll look at how uh, Paul has gained present perspective, learned by past suffering, resulting in future hope. Paul gained past perspective, or has gained present perspective, learned by past suffering, resulting in future hope. And what we see in this passage is kind of a snapshot of Paul's growing spiritual maturity as he evaluates his life, evaluates his suffering, thinks about it, and thinks about what God is doing in his life. So let's look at Paul's present perspective, and that'll be verses 3 through 7. So I'll read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers in our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Do you hear a word over and over again in that passage? It's the word comfort. What's the word? Comfort, that's right. When you see a word repeated once or twice in the Bible, you know, sometimes that's an important word and we ought to pay attention to it. This word is repeated 10 times in these five verses. So it's a pretty important word. And Paul wants us to get the gist of, of what it is that he's proposing, this comfort that he has received. So the word comfort uh, is... Uh, the Greek word paraklesis. And paraklesis is a compound word in Greek. It's from the word para, which means beside or alongside. And the word klesis, which is from a verb kaleo, which means to call. So paraklesis means to call beside or to call alongside. Our English word comfort has a sense of kind of ease and relaxation with it. It's like uh, Somebody gives you a cup of hot chocolate and a hug and says, you know, everything's going to be okay. It's kind of a, a passive word, but the Greek word is much more active. And you see the definition up there. Paraklesis is the act of emboldening, emboldening another in belief or course of action, encouragement or exhortation. It's like somebody saying to you, come on, let's go. Come on with me. We can do this together. Come along with me. We can, we can survive this together. So that's what paraklesis is. 
I've run in a lot of road races, and some of those races I've been foolish enough to run are marathons, 26-mile races. And some of the things that you see when you run a marathon are people standing on the side of the road and offering you all kinds of encouragement. And I've been in races where I've run 16, 17 miles of the race, and there'll be some joker on the side of the road with a sign that he holds up that says, you're almost there. And so let me tell you, when you've run 16 miles and you have 10 miles to go, that is not paraclesis. That is not paraclesis at all. That's just mean. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's not very nice, even though it's intended, I think, to be paraclesis. I've actually seen paraclesis in races, though. And what I've seen is that people are struggling so much just to put one foot in front of the other that some other runner may come alongside and actually put his arm around somebody and run with them for a little while until they're strong enough to continue in the race by themselves. That is paraclesis, to come alongside, to come alongside to help. And if you get to John chapter 14 and you read where Jesus says that I will send to you another comforter, another helper, in some versions, some translations, it's called I will send to you a paraclete. It's from the same word. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete who comes alongside us, who prays for us, who helps us. So that's what paraclesis is. It's comfort, but it's a lot more than comfort. It's encouragement to come alongside. And I belabor the point because the word is said 10 times. So Paul wants us to get this point that though Paul suffers, he has received comfort. And because he has received comfort, these, his audience is going to receive comfort too. And Paul's able to receive comfort and give comfort because he's first received this comfort from God, right? The, the comfort that God gives comes vertically down from God, and then he's able to spread it out horizontally among his fellow brethren and those who, uh, who he is writing to. So in verses 3 and 4, we see that, God, uh, that Paul praises God for this comfort that uh, he has given to Paul. But Paul doesn't hold on to this comfort for himself. He gives out this, this comfort horizontally as well. He uses his suffering to disciple others and to encourage others. And so that's a blessing. Paul uses his suffering to be a blessing to other people. And we'll see that as we go through this even further. So how is he able to do that? How is Paul able to receive blessing and then give blessing out to others? Well, it's because he understands that blessing or, or that suffering is actually for his benefit. So is it possible for my suffering to benefit you? Well, it is if I'm spiritually mature enough to understand that God has sent my suffering or allowed my suffering for a specific reason and that I see that reason in the suffering and then I tell you what that reason is and encourage you that I've been through this and you'll get through it too. That's where the benefit of the suffering comes. That's what comfort looks like, coming vertically and then spreading out horizontally. So the Bible warns over and over again, that we are going to experience persecution and trouble because of our faith in Jesus. And nobody has ever lived who knew that better than Paul. Paul was constantly under attack for his faith. And so he wants us to know that we're going to, in, to suffer persecution, but he tempers that bad news with the good news that he's received comfort and he's going to be able to give comfort as well. So there's good news here. Even though there's suffering, there is also comfort. And he wants them to know that. This kind of sounds like a support group, doesn't it? Like Paul is this leader of a support group and he gathers people to him and he wants to share his suffering so that others will benefit. And when you think about it, it's, it's not a whole lot different in some ways. Um, I think about Bill Wilson. 
Bill Wilson was an alcoholic and he knew that he was not going to survive his suffering, his alcoholism, if he didn't find some help. But at the time, in the early 1900s, there was no help for somebody like Bill Wilson. Well, he formed Alcoholics Anonymous so that there would be people that they could share their suffering with and hopefully share blessing with each other so they would help each other through difficult times. And since AA was formed, thousands, perhaps millions of people have benefited from that kind of support group, from experiencing suffering, experiencing struggle, sharing that struggle with each other, and building each other up so that you're able to get through it together. And many survived that, the affliction that they have because of Bill Wilson. And in the same way, many survived the persecutions in the Christian walk that we will suffer because Paul has already suffered through them and survived them. So the fact that Paul survived his suffering gives comfort to others. And so if you're following along in your handout, there's a couple of points that I'm making there. And so what I want you to see is that the first point is that surviving uh, suffering strengthens struggling saints. Easy for me to say, right? Surviving suffering strengthens struggling saints. So if you're struggling, the fact that uh, these people saw that Paul survived all that he was going through that alone is an encouragement. Paul didn't die from the things that he was suffering. He survived, and that's an encouragement to others that they would be able to survive them as well. How did Paul get here? How did he get to this point in his life where he is able to understand that his sufferings are actually a benefit to others? Well, there's only one way, and that is because he came to understand through experience, gained through suffering, that would result in future hope, not only to him, but to others as well. So let's look at Paul's past suffering. We're going to see this in verses 8 and 9. He says to them, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul starts verse 8 here by saying, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. Why is it that Paul doesn't want them to be uninformed about the suffering that he's undergoing? Is it because he wants them to have some kind of pity party for him? No, that, that's not what it's about. He wants them to be informed so that they can benefit from his suffering. That's, why, uh, that's one of the ways that Paul makes disciples, by sharing this suffering and having them grow up together. So what, Paul su uh, what, what suffering Paul is referring to here is not exactly known. Uh, Paul spent a lot of time in Asia, and so he could have been referring to any number of things that he had been going through. But in this same letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a summary of some of the things that he had suffered up to this point uh, in his life. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 11, verse 24 through 28. And as I do, just think how tough even one of these things would be to have to suffer. And Paul had to suffer the cumulative effect of all of this and uh, still was able to survive it and be a blessing to others as a result. Paul says, I was beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Wow. I mean, Paul certainly had his share of suffering, right? He was well acquainted with suffering, physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering, you name it, Paul suffered it. So whatever he's writing about here in chapter one, we're not specifically sure, but whatever it was, he says that he felt that he was about to die for the sake of the gospel. Now, given Paul's experience and all the suffering he had undergone, if he thought he was about to die this time, it must have been really serious, whatever it was. But look what happens in the middle of this passage. Look at verse nine in particular. Notice the space after the period and the start of the second sentence. You see that? There's a space there. And in that space, some things can happen. Sometimes a lot can happen between the period and the start of a next sentence. So if you have an investment, or if you want to have a good relationship, that doesn't happen overnight. These things take time. So what happened between verse, the first sentence of verse 9 and the second sentence of verse 9? Time has passed, and spiritual maturity has occurred. So while it was happening, Paul felt like he had the sentence of death on him. Uh, white doesn't show up at all, does it? In between that, those, uh, that sentence and the start of the next sentence, it says, time leads to spiritual maturity. So that's, you can't see it on the slide, but that's what it says. In between the, first two, uh, in between the two sentences of verse nine, time has passed and maturity has occurred. Can you see it? We felt the sentence of death. Time passes, maturity occurs, but this happened so that we might come to rely not on ourselves, but on God. So while it was happening, Paul felt like he was going to die. But now that it's over, God, or Paul understands that there is a purpose in his suffering. So it's incredible to think about all that Paul had gone through and realize that he can now look back on all this bad stuff and see that it's actually a blessing and that he can bless God for it. When trouble comes in our lives, sometimes we try and figure out how we're going to get out of this trouble. And sometimes we are so under pressure from the trouble that we're in that we forget to ask God, you know, God, help me. How, how do I get out of this particular situation? And in an unbeliever's life, this is obviously true. They don't have God to rely on. So they're constantly trying to figure out how to get out of their trouble by themselves. But a spiritually mature person understands that God allows trouble in our lives and he wants us to learn something from the trouble in our lives. And so we come to rely on him to figure out what it is that God wants us to learn so that we'll learn the lesson and hopefully the trouble will end. So if God allows trouble in our lives, why would we think that we could get out of it by our own cunning and our own guile? We don't want to get out of it that way. We want to rely on God and have him guide us through that trouble. Some of you may know the name Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago in the 1870s, and he and his wife were supporters of D.L. Moody. 
and D.L. Moody was going to be preaching in England, and so Spafford and his wife decided that they were going to take a holiday, go over to England, and listen to uh, Moody preach. At the last minute, Spafford was delayed by business, and he had to stay home and, and deal with a couple of things, but he sent his wife and his kids ahead of him on a ship to England, and he planned to catch up with them in a couple of days. On the way, that ship was rammed by another ship, and the ship sunk. Spafford's wife was saved, but 226 people, including Spafford's four children, were killed. The first thing that Spafford did when he got the news was to get on the next ship going over to England. And on the way to England, he wrote this hymn that we all know very well called It Is Well With My Soul. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song and think about what this man was going through and think about how he's able to write lyrics to a song like this in the wake of what had just happened. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. For me be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be by sight, the clouds be rolled up as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Is that amazing that somebody could be on their way to England to, be, to comfort their wife after their four children had just been killed and that he could write verse like this? How is that possible? How is it possible that somebody could get to that point in their lives where they could handle such unspeakable tragedy with this kind of grace. Spafford had lived his life walking with the Lord, and he knew that walking with the Lord, there's suffering involved, there's difficulty involved with that, but Spafford decided long ago that he was gonna trust the Lord no matter what, and so when this hurricane came in his life, his house was not destroyed, he was prepared, he was able to deal with this unspeakable tragedy that happened in his life. Paul learned the same thing 1800 years earlier. So here's the second point for your outline. Seeing God as the source and solution to suffering strengthens struggling saints. Seeing God as the source and solution to suffering strengthens struggling saints. And when I say the source of suffering, I don't mean that God is the cause of these things, but God certainly allows these things in our lives, right? If you think back to the book of Job, Satan was able to gain God's permission to inflict certain suffering on Job, but God set, set the limits of how much suffering was going to be permitted. So God is in control of the suffering in our lives because he is sovereign. He is sovereign over his creation. And Paul learned these things and he understood these things. And because he did, because he knew these things, he was able to have future hope. So let's look at verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf 
for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Whatever trouble Paul was experiencing, we don't know exactly, but we do know that God delivered him from it. Now, 2 Corinthians was written right after these troubles. And so we don't know exactly what the suffering was. He's already given a great travelogue of what he's gone through, but 2 Corinthians was written in about 56 AD. And this is about the time of Acts chapter 19. So if you think back to Acts chapter 19, Paul was having difficulty in Ephesus because he was uh, causing the pagan uh, merchants who were selling uh, artifacts representing the, the goddess Diana. Uh, he was in trouble there in Acts for that reason. And so he had to leave Ephesus. But, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about that next week in the second part of this message. But after this, and after what I read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, Paul still lived another eight to 10 years. And he had a whole lot of suffering yet ahead of him. He still has two years of imprisonment in Caesarea that he's gonna go through. He's got to suffer through two more imprisonments in Rome that he doesn't know about yet. And he, he does not know that he's going to be martyred under Nero in about 66 or 67 AD. Paul didn't know any of these things when he wrote these verses. All he knew was that God had been faithful in the past to deliver him, and he was going to set his hope on God to be faithful to him in the future. Now, I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have investments, and sometimes when you hear uh, commercials for investments, you'll hear the investment house giving some kind of disclaimer, like past performance is not indicative or not a guarantee of future earnings. Why do they put that on there? Well, it's because the stock market is volatile and ever-changing, right? So you can't, you can't guarantee anybody anything in terms of future earnings about what the stock market may do. But contrary, in contrast to the stock market, God is a rock. He is unchanging and he's completely trustworthy. And that's why Paul is able to say, I put my hope in him. So as you see that in the, uh, in the, in the verse, it says that he's going to, in verse 10, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now, we use the word hope differently than they use the word hope in the New Testament. We hope that our Saturday barbecue isn't going to get rained out and we cross our fingers and you know, really hope for the best. Biblical hope is not like that. Biblical hope is the assurance of something that is sure to happen. Like tomorrow is Monday and if the Lord doesn't return before then, tomorrow is gonna to be Monday and that's what biblical hope is like. It's sure, something that has already been decided. And so Paul then is able to set his hope on this rock that is God. Now, there may be some of you here who have lived this first half of verse 9 that we looked at earlier. Some of you who say or feel like, I have the sentence of death on me from God, and you don't have in your lives the hope that comes in the second half of the verse, but God has given this so that we might come not to rely on ourselves, but on God. There are some people here, perhaps, who have forgotten that God is a rock and on him we can set our hope. And so I want you to know that today, that, that God, he, he loves you and he knows what you're going through. He has allowed this in your life for a specific reason. So I want you to think about that and think about how God has delivered you in the past and will continue to deliver you from in the future. But here's something else I want you to think about. Sometimes, I think it's possible that God doesn't deliver us 
until we are willing to have to share our blessings with other people as well. And the only way we can do that is by sharing our sufferings at the same time. So God is very much into shared blessing. He wants everybody to benefit. That's why Paul is talking about this kind of sharing the comfort that he's received from God vertically, sharing it out horizontally. And so when we struggle together, we grow spiritually together. And it's a benefit to the entire church when suffering comes, so that when we're delivered from suffering, the entire church benefits from that deliverance. Paul was not afraid to share his suffering with other people. He was not afraid to ask for prayer. That's why verse 11 says, God will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Paul was constantly asking for prayer in his letters because he knew that God works through prayer, through the prayers of many. And so he's asking the many for prayer. And you can't ask for prayer unless you first shared your struggle. I need prayer. This is what I'm going through. Will you please pray for me? That's what Paul did all the time. And as a result of answered prayer, then the many give thanks and the body is built up together and spiritual maturity occurs not just in the, in the individual, but the entire body grows up spiritually. So has anybody ever said to you, God never gives you more than you can bear? I hate that. I hate when God says that or when people say that because God does give us more than we can bear, right? Paul said it himself. Uh, we felt the sentence of death on us, right? That's way more than we think that we can bear. It's just not true. God gives us more than we can bear so that we come to rely on him, so that we come to rely on others, so that the body is built up together. So check out this cycle of discipleship. I don't know if you can see that, but God allows trials in our lives. And as he does that, we come to rely on him more and more. And we come to rely on him after we're delivered, we receive comfort from God. And as a result of that, our faith is strengthened. And as a result of our strength and faith, through our experience that we have gone through and survived, we are then able to comfort others. And as they are comforted and they've come through their struggle, their faith is strengthened. And so they are able to then go out and give other people comfort who are experiencing the same thing. And as a result, the whole body grows spiritually. And so a spiritually more mature person is then ready for the cycle to begin again. More trials, more growth, more spiritual maturity, the body growing together. So God allows suffering, not only that individuals may grow up and be strengthened, but that the entire body can grow up and be strengthened. And in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the church and he describes the church as the entire body being knitted together, being fitted together, growing up into a holy temple of the Lord together. So it is God's will for us to grow individually, but it's also God's will for us to grow spiritually together as a body. And so here's the final point for your handout. Sharing suffering strengthens struggling saints. Sharing suffering strengthens struggling saints. As we suffer together, as we share our burdens together, when one is lifted from the struggle that he's under, the entire body benefits. Paul understood that. That's why he's asking for prayer. That's why he's sharing his story. That's why he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, because it's for all of their benefit that Paul share his suffering, or that they all share Paul's suffering. So how can we get to this point 
as individuals and as a body. It's one thing for God to deliver me from a particular hardship, whatever that might be. But if I hold that to myself, then nobody else benefits. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to remember our triumphs. We have to remember our triumphs. This is Memorial Day weekend, and this weekend we remember the sacrifices that people have made so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we currently enjoy. Remembering is a very biblical theme, too. When Moses crossed uh, or left Egypt with all the Israelites, the Lord instituted the Feast of Passover so that the Israelites would never forget that the plague that killed the firstborn of Egypt passed over the Israelites so that they could be saved and that they could leave Egypt. When Joshua was leading the Israelites back into the Promised Land years later, the Lord stopped the Jordan River so that they could cross back into the Promised Land. And the Lord said to Joshua, you make a pile of 12 stones here. And when your kids ask you, why are these 12 stones piled here? You will say, it's to remember when the Lord allowed us Israelites to cross into the Promised Land. It's a monument to that. So remembering is a very key theme in the Bible. And we want to always remember so that we don't forget what God has done for us. So how can we do that? I think a great way to do this is we're so busy in life, right? Sometimes we just have to stop. We have to slow down. We have to spend an hour with ourselves, spend a day with ourselves, and just think about all God has done in our lives and write it down. Keep a prayer journal, you know, cover the stuff that, that happened in the past, but then in the future, continue to keep this prayer journal of answered prayers so that you remember your triumphs. Remember how the Lord has delivered you from struggles that you've had. And then once you've done that, share these triumphs with others. That's the second thing that we can do. Share your triumphs with others. Paul was able to comfort the Corinthians because he shared his victory with them. Victory is wonderful, but victory alone is, is just victory by yourself. You want other people to benefit from it too. In Genesis chapter 12, when God chooses to bless Abraham and make a mighty nation out of him, he says, Abraham, I will make a mighty nation out of you, and all the nations will be blessed through you, right? God didn't just plan to bless Abraham. The point of blessing Abraham was that then Abraham would bless others. So you have the vertical, and then you have the horizontal. The blessing flows outward. So if we're going to be this kind of blessing, we have to remember our triumphs and then share them with others. So... Before next Sunday, maybe you have somebody in your life that you can think of who really could use some encouragement, who's experiencing the same kind of thing that you have experienced and you have gone through. Think of somebody like that in your life and give them a word of encouragement. Tell them how you have survived this struggle, the same struggle that they're in, and with God's help and with our prayers, they will survive it too. So share your triumphs. And finally, share your sufferings. Don't be afraid to admit to one another that you're going through struggles. It happens to all of us at some point or another in our lives, and usually it's not too long between one struggle and the start of a next struggle. So just don't be, don't, be, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. From where I stand, looking out over you people, you all look wonderful to me. You look like there's nothing wrong in your lives. You just look like perfect lives, all of you. But I know just from a statistical study that if I were to take a sampling, there are some people here who are going through some difficult stuff. And so when you uh, hold that suffering to yourself, you suffer worse, right? Suffering alone, the suffering is much worse. But conversely, 
triumphs are much more triumphant when we experience them together. When we experience them together, the whole body becomes stronger and is fitted up together. So if we remember our triumphs, if we share our triumphs, and if we share our sufferings, we are going to become this church that God has in mind, built up, knitted together, strong as can be. A, a cord of three strands cannot be broken, right? Stronger and stronger. We're going to be a group ready to take on the world, ready to endure whatever suffering comes our way together as we do this together, not suffering alone, so that the body is built up stronger and stronger. I pray that it's so even beginning in this church. Let's pray. Lord God, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for the encouragement that comes from your scriptures, Lord. It is true that we are going to suffer and we are going to have uncomfortable times as Christians. But if we know that you have allowed it, Lord, and it's for our benefit and we're willing to receive the blessing that comes from it and share that blessing with others, Lord, there is no telling what a group of Christians can do who have that mindset. Lord, I pray for this group, for those who are suffering. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would be with them physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is that they're going through. Lord, help them all to share with each other and help us to come alongside paraclesis. Help us to give them what they need in their time of trouble, Lord, as we pray and we pray that you will deliver them. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.